We are back, and today we're learning key strategies and tools to help our families, our kids and friends, and the most marginalized who are struggling with depression and anxiety. We're all in this together to support each other throughout this year with hope, faith, and health. That's coming up on See, Here Love. You are seen, you are heard, you are loved by God. You're not alone, you're fully known, you are loved Well, thanks, Calvin, and welcome to See, Here Love. This is a really important show today. Since I started See, Here Love in 2017, I was committed, as well as my team, to make sure that we feature shows on mental illness and struggling with mental health. And so we've done shows about anxiety, depression, eating disorders, uh, bipolar disorders, because we know that these topics are important to you. And they're important to me as I've lived through a very difficult depression. And I understand the shame and stigma associated with that. For me, though, to get through really the dark night of my soul, it, it took family. It took a great doctor and a therapist and a church community of friends who loved me through uh, the depths of despair that I experienced. And so my heart is that we would encourage everyone in Canada, around the world, to be that kind of support, to, to show that unconditional love and empathy and kindness to the people that you love who are struggling with mental illness and, and mental health today. I mean, the numbers are sobering. I want to read these so I don't uh, get them wrong, but the stats are really sobering in Canada uh, for mental illness and mental health. Mental illness right now is one of the most widespread health issues that we are facing today. One in five Canadians will experience a mental illness at some point in their lives. One in five. The stigma of, of having a mental health struggle or illness is one of the biggest hurdles to overcome. And two-thirds of people living with mental illness today are too ashamed to share their struggles with someone else for fear of rejection. And 500,000 Canadians today in any given week are unable to work due to mental health problems. So this show is to help you and to help me understand the struggles of the people that we love and what they're going through, to get the support that we need and the resources uh, to help those that are struggling with mental illness and, and mental health. And so we have an incredible lineup of people today and guests and experts and storytellers to help you and me uh, journey well as we support those who are struggling. So first up, I'm, I'm so excited to talk with a Grammy-nominated recording artist and author of Finding Quiet, Jamie Grace. She has had a lifelong journey with mental illness, and she shares with me how she manages to find joy and quiet in the chaos and noise of her life, and what it took for the people that love her to help her through her highs and lows of her mental illness. Here's my conversation with Jamie Grace. Well, Jamie Grace, thank you so much for hanging out with us here on See Your Love and welcome to my home here in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love Canada so much. So thank really? you for the welcome. I'm like obsessed. My husband and I are so ready to bring our daughter like Whenever we can, <laughs> we well, love whenever you can. You make sure you come up, have a visit, hang out. Would love to chat right. with you further. <laughs> yes, so, Jamie. You know this show was about 
our mental health struggles, how we can help those that are struggling. But I want to start with your story. So at 11 years old, you were, uh, you had some mental health diagnoses. Tell us what those were and how they impacted you as a young girl and into adulthood. Yeah. So I was diagnosed, um, like you said, at 11 with Tourette syndrome, OCD, ADHD, and anxiety. And it was very challenging initially getting that diagnosis. Um, you know, the, 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 for the primary thing that I felt that I dealt with was my Tourette syndrome, which causes me to make tics that I can't control. And so as a little girl, my tics were very much out of control that walking was challenging, talking was challenging um, because I was just constantly twitching and moving and making these vocal sounds I couldn't control. Um, as I got older and you know, after puberty, things did kind of subside a little bit and kind of find a balance. And then you know, I'm almost 30 now, so I've definitely found kind of my rhythm and how to, to, to cope daily and things like that. But um, it was very challenging. I, I struggled physically, and then I also struggled mentally because of the anxiety and feeling isolated and friendships, and so I struggled socially. Um, I'm a person of faith, and so I struggled spiritually as well, just with my relationship with God. Um, mm. it, it took a lot for, you know, not that I'm like super cool or anything now, but it took a lot for me to get to where I am um, because it, it kind of just felt like everything was like crashing down from being a relatively typical middle schooler to then all of a sudden getting this news that just changed the entire trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. Jamie, what were some of, and I don't want to sort of bring you back to those hard places, but what were some of the most harmful things that were said or done to you because of your mental health struggles? Because I know a lot of people have experienced that, but what were yours? Yeah, um, and, and you're, you're totally okay. I'm, I'm honored to be able to talk about it now because I think that that's one of the things that helps other people get through it is when you hear the stories of people that have gone through it as well. Um, I think one of the one of the most challenging things was just um, just kids wanting to replicate or recreate my tics um, and recreate the things that I couldn't control. And, and these were kids that, that knew that it was an illness and, you know, either from church or school groups or things like that. Um, so that carried on into, you know, teen years as well. And even young adulthood, I mean, I went through some of the same stuff that young adults go through where it's like, oh, am I going to be a bridesmaid in this wedding? Or am I going to be a friend at that sleepover or whatnot? And I remember my 18th birthday party, I invited almost everybody I could think of and five people showed up. And so, um, you know, I, I, I dealt with a lot of just isolation and disconnection um, just from people around me and sometimes just the kind of cliches of people being like, oh yeah, let's be friends. But then behind closed doors, it's well, she's, you know, people would say like a retard or things like that. And so um, it was just really challenging feeling like I didn't necessarily have a place with um, a lot of, a lot of people my age. Yeah. Now you talked about some of the spiritual challenges you had. I'm going to guess that there were people within the church who said you could probably just pray this away, Jamie, pray harder, right? Maybe not so connected with God, so yeah, something. And I say this because I've heard this before, and it frustrates me. Yeah, does that you know, happen to you? Oh, definitely. You know, I, I, every time my spiritual life comes up, I, I just want to do a, a brief acknowledgement of uh, the privilege that I do come from. So I'm a pastor's kid, and I never heard that from my mom or dad. So um, I'm really grateful for that because I think it helped me stay emotionally stable 
uh, mm-hmm. and emotionally consistent. But around 14 or 15, when I started going to my friends' churches and I started to be a little bit more outspoken about what I was going through, that's when I started to hear that from other people. And I was very confused. I remember I was 14 years old and I was visiting a friend's church and four male pastors like took me by myself and like laid hands on me and said that they were going to pray it out of me. And I, it was one of the most frightening things that I've ever gone through. And I, I did not know until I was an adult in therapy that that was considered like trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, just the details of what they did. Um, I just thought, it, you know, you don't know if you, I didn't talk about it. I didn't have anybody. Well, I could have, of course, told my parents, but I was afraid to tell my parents. I was afraid to talk about the things that people would say, you know, I had started a YouTube channel at 14 years old. And so I was getting all these emails from other pastors across the world. And I'm like, why are you so concerned with what a 14 year old girl is talking about? Like You're creepy, you know? Um, and so I definitely went through that, but I'm just grateful that, you know, I was raised with, and I, as I got older, I accepted and understood and studying. I mean, I, I went to Bible college. I graduated at 20 and all this stuff. And I'm grateful that I understand that there's a reason for heaven you know, that is the place of, of, of no more hurting and no more crying. And yes, we often get a glimpse of that on earth because God is a healer. Um, but the reason for having mental health issues has nothing to do with a lack of faith. Um, being diagnosed with anxiety and depression, that is not a spiritual issue. It may cause some spiritual complexities, um, but in the same way that a broken foot can cause you to be frustrated with God. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm grateful that that's something that, um, that I grew up knowing, but that I also understand now because it has actually strengthened my relationship with God. And it's taking me to a place where I'm able to say, you know what, Lord, I have these imperfections. I, I'm inadequate, but your strength is made perfect in my weakness. So my life is not about trying to make my life perfect so that you can be known because you are the perfect one and the only one that I want to draw attention to anyway. Nice. Preach it. I love that. That's exactly what I think everybody needs to hear. But in that, though, Jamie, because there are people going, yeah, I get it, but I'm not there yet. Like, what made you really come to that? I mean, you, you sound really healthy in your understanding of your own mental health struggles. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that are like, I just can't get there, or I'm still in yeah. blocks for people to really accept it and right. move forward. What would you say to them? Well, I think one of the most valuable things is to remember that it's always a journey. You know, I, you know, I, I knew that I was talking to you today, you know, and so like, I have an incredible support system. So my, my one-year-old daughter, she is with my mom and dad right now. Um, you know, my husband gives me pep talks before interviews, you know, it's like, mine is too. Yay. Like, you know, I like, right, exactly. Like I make sure like I get my sleep, I eat my breakfast, you know, like I definitely have more more like days like this than, you know, days where I am having symptoms of depression, if you will. But at the same time, it's always a journey. You know, there's never, well, I don't want to say never because like I said, God is a healer and I don't know what he's up to, but there, there will likely not be a day where everybody with mental health issues wakes up one day and we're all like, Oh, it's over. You know, it, it will likely be a journey, but I will say that one, one thing 
that really kept me going. It'll sound a little dark, but don't worry. It'll wrap up. When Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I remember reading that verse at like 13 years old and it brought me so much joy, but like, I was a deep child. No, really deep child. Yeah. It, it yeah. gave me the freedom to feel forsaken. It gave me the freedom to feel broken and to feel hurt and to know that that doesn't encompass who I am, but these feelings of things not going my way or things not being easily explainable were real. And it, I mean, even now it gives me chills. It gives me so much comfort. You know, when I'm having a bad, bad, bad day, it brings me comfort that like, and it took us a while to get here, of course, but that my husband is not like, okay, let's fix it. But that my husband is saying, this must be so hard. And it's just almost like, thank you, sir. This is, and it's almost like once he says that, I'm like, I can go do things now because it's just, it's that freedom to feel hurt and to feel broken and not to allow it to define who you are, but to understand that life is not supposed to be perfect. We're going to go through things, but the, 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 the gift is that we're not going through them alone and that God is with us every single step of the way. So if someone's listening or watching and they're like, well, I'm not there yet, it's okay. You, yeah. Maybe you'll be there tomorrow, but then the next day will be difficult in a whole new way. And, yeah. and that's life, but you don't have to go through it alone. And Jamie, I think that's exactly, that's what life is. I think whoever has created a, uh, an idea, an ideal that life is supposed to be easy and running through the daisies and everything's great and we'll all be successful. That's not real life, right? I, that's not yeah. real life. And I love what you're saying, that one day will be good and another day might not be so good. And yeah, I, it's a journey. Yeah. And I think that ties in with, and I love this, that you're such an advocate for choosing joy. And I think that's some of the best advice you can give young adults. You can give to me, you can give to the world that there is a choice to choose joy, even in the midst of great difficulty. Yeah, most definitely. A lot of times we want to see the, the outcome or the fix or the, the healing so that we can move toward joy. And sometimes you choose joy in the midst of the struggle. You know, sometimes you're dancing in the rain. Like, like that's like a song and a movie and like a whole thing. I haven't seen that movie. So like, I don't know if it's like a hot mess, but like, it, I just know that that's like a phrase. Like, that's a thing. Sometimes like you're not waiting for like things to get perfect or easy. You know, I'm, I'm learning so much about having a one and a half year old. You will laugh about this as having a child. I love the house being clean. Like, and like, I'd kind of like take pride in like the common areas being clean yeah. and decided to make like our loft area, her playroom, which it's never clean, but I'm learning that like the mess in that room, I don't have to look at it and say, oh, my house is a mess because my daughter is messy. It's like, no. My house is a mess. Like there's toys everywhere, but look how much joy there is. Like how much laughter there is. Like how much fun she's having. Like obviously I have to like, you know, take the food and put it in the trash. Cause like, that's just, a, you know, a thing, but I don't have to wait for the whole house to be clean for me to enjoy life with my daughter. Mm-hmm. I can enjoy it in the mess, in the complexity. Um, and, and that's like you said, that's just how life is. I love that. 
for the millions of young adults who are struggling with mental health? What would you say to them? I know you have a lot of, I mean, we've talked a lot about the choosing joy and it's a journey, but specifically, you know, for someone who's really depressed and this year, Jamie, for all of us, it's been a tough year. Yeah. It's been hard. Um, For our kids, it's been hard. I have a 14 and 16 year old Mm -hmm. and really tough. And they would say it on their mental health. Yeah. Say to them, what would you say to, I mean, they're 14, 16. So what would you say to Sophie and Nathan, even though they're young um, to encourage them during some of their struggles? Yeah. You know, I think it's just, it's important that we are as honest as possible and that we are finding a place to take that honesty. Um, You know, we don't have to try to bury those feelings down of this is hard. This is challenging be honest, you know, like you said, this has been a difficult year for a lot of us. And sometimes I have the guilt and the shame of like, I have not had an immediate family member, you know, pass away this year. Right. And so sometimes I'm like, well, is what I'm going through? Like, is that even hard? Like, is that even challenging? But it is like, I think we need to give 15 year olds the freedom to really feel the frustration of, I did not get the freshman year that I wanted. I don't get to see my friends when I want, like that hurts deeply. So, you know, just being honest about how we feel and finding somewhere to place those things. So for me, it's songwriting. That is the place where I, where I place all the most honest and raw feelings. But for some people, they might actually want a pen and a paper to journal. Um, I know for my high school self, I well, even now, I would call my mom all the time and just, just be like, Ma, I just want to tell you something. And just like rant. And then she would like try to fix it and I'd be like, Super great advice, but like, can I keep complaining for like five more minutes? You know, and she didn't want like, just listen, no solutions. Right, right, right. And then, and then of course, like a week later, I'd be like, hey, what was that advice that you were giving? (laughs) I probably should have written it down, you know? Um, And it's like, figure out what the core of that, like, what is the most honest thing that you're feeling and find somewhere to place it. Um, Ultimately, placing it at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, just transform my heart and give me peace even in the midst of all of this noise um and so he uses that writing and that journaling and that relationship with parents and friends um but we we have to be honest and we have to find some place to put all of those feelings as well i love that jamie this show is about how we can help those that are struggling with mental health with their mental health struggles and so what would be your advice to, to spouses and parents and friends and colleagues who have people they love that are deeply struggling and we, and we don't know what to do. We don't know yeah. what to say or how to help. What advice would, would you give us? Yeah. Um, you know, as I mentioned my husband earlier and, and I also kind of jokingly, but I was also dead serious when I said it took us a while to get here. <laughs> you know, um, I, I thought, I, I thought that going into marriage as someone that deals with mental health, I thought that if I just explained all my stuff and then like told him like, and this is how my mom helps me. Like I, I was like, he'll figure it out. Like I thought I was just going to be like super easy and it was really hard and it's still hard. And we've only been married for two and a half years. And so, you know, we still have moments where we're figuring it out too. Um, but one thing that he and I have kind of gotten into the habit of, which it's actually a regular piece of marriage advice, but I think it's just a good piece of relationship advice, especially as far as mental health. 
we just do we do weekly check-ins where he'll just he'll ask the simple question like what can i do um and I think these conversations, we need to make sure that we're having these conversations about mental health um, when the person who is struggling is in a healthy place. Because a lot of times, like for me, sometimes if I'm having you know, a lot of symptoms, I will kind of want to isolate and curl up in the bed and not talk to anybody. And then if we try to figure out what to do at that point, it's oftentimes really challenging to walk backwards. And so it's okay when I am in a great mood and when I am, you know, feeling on top of the world and like, I'm just the best mom that ever lived and like, oh my gosh, we're going to Target. It's okay. Let's talk about it right now. Let's have these difficult conversations when we don't even want to, but we know that we need to because it can be very beneficial for us in the long run. It, it's not a one-way street. It takes both people. It takes the person that does not have the same degree of mental health issues, um, being patient and gracious and persistent um, when they are asking, what can I do? And it, for me, this seems so subtle, and it's ironic at, at this time as well. It seems so subtle. But for me, it's oftentimes like, I need some water and I need like 15 minutes. Um, and so my husband asked, like, what can I do? And I'm like, honestly, I need to make sure that I'm drinking water this week, or I need to make sure that I'm eating on a regular schedule, or I need to make sure that I'm working out this week, or, you know, I need to make sure that I have some quiet time. I need you to take the baby every other day for 15 minutes to the park, mm -hmm. you know, having those conversations. And then on the other end, when the person with these mental health challenges is isolating or feeling disconnected or having experience in anger or rage it takes so much trust to then allow that person to follow through with the things that you've already set in place it takes humility and it takes sacrificing our own pride because yes there are mental health issues but yes there are character um, parts of our character that are or, uh, influenced by this as well. And so when I'm having a moment where I'm just like, I don't want to talk to anybody, I can't do this, I'm too stressed out, I'm too overwhelmed, and my husband is like, you know what? Baby, you should work out. I can't take that as, oh, my husband just told me I need to exercise. <laughs> I have to take that as he knows that when I get 30 minutes to just dance around or work out like he knows that it's helpful for me um or if he says like you know what why don't you just take a drive and go to your mom's house i can't take that as oh he wants me out of the house i can't believe him you know what i mean like you have to it takes humility it takes it takes trust and maybe you have to write these things down so that your spouse or your parent or your friend can come to you and say hey this is what we agreed on pick something from the list oh, that you're going to do right now yeah just so it, so it doesn't feel like they're just attacking you because my insecurities oftentimes would be like oh so you want me to exercise and he'd be like but you but you told me to, <laughs> you told me to tell you to exercise when you're stressed out so it takes both people working hard um, with so much trust and patience and humility. Um, and it, it's a journey. I know I keep saying that, but it is a journey. I have to keep remembering that. Thank you. I love that. And Jamie, last thing, your favorite verse that helps you when you are the most discouraged or just need encouragement, favorite scripture verse that you can yeah. share? Yeah. I mean, I, one of my favorites is Psalm 30, verse 5, and it's weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. 
and just to remind myself like you know, crying doesn't last forever. Sometimes it might be a solid 40 minutes, you know, just get it all out, turn on This Is Us and just cry it out. But it's not going to last forever. Joy comes in the morning. <laughs> Jamie Grace, you are such an inspiration. Thank you so much. This is so helpful. There was just some mm. great wisdom from you. Um, keep up the great songwriting and music and mm, all the things you. on your website. There's so many great things that you're doing and offering. Uh, just thank you so much also for your courage and sharing your story with me today and the world. So thanks for being with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Chris, friend of See Here Love with Melinda. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I just had to let you know that the only way that See Here Love gets to produce fun and authentic conversations like this one is through your financial donations. So go to seeherelove.com and click on the big donate button. Thanks for your support. Let's get back to the show. Well, every month, monthly contributor... Angie Peters, CEO of the Young Street Mission in Toronto, stops by to talk with us about how we can stop being bystanders and how we can help and be involved uh, with solutions um, with poverty and help those that are poor and marginalized. And today, I'm so glad that Angie's here to talk to us about poverty, uh, the homeless and marginalized, and mental health uh, struggles and mental illness. And so, Angie, I'm so glad that you're here Thanks for uh, being on the show today to help me learn more about what I can do. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Angie, we just, well, I just finished talking with Jamie Grace, who got a lot of support from, from people as she was struggling through her own mental illness. And, and I, it's great. And I know many people have that kind of support and love, but there are a lot of people that don't. And I know that you work with a lot of those people. Help us understand the connection and the need for support and helping uh, those that are uh, marginalized and as they struggle with their mental health. Yeah, sure. So I'm actually standing in our drop-in center for homeless youth right now, Evergreen. And really what is the most critical thing to understand in terms of mental illness and poverty is that they have a mutually reinforcing relationship. So what I mean by that is if you are dealing with mental illness, that can actually lead to poverty. And if you are experiencing poverty, that can actually lead to mental illness. So they're mutually reinforcing and it can be very difficult. But really, when you think about someone who's experiencing poverty, by definition, they don't have enough. They don't have enough income for enough food, adequate housing, access to health care, access to mental health supports, access to dental care, and the list goes on. And what that means is that introduces ongoing daily anxiety and trauma into their lives. And what do I mean by that? What does that look like? Well, for example, if you're a parent and you're trying to look after children and you don't have enough financial resources to do it properly, how do you feel about yourself as a parent? You would right. tell yourself likely that you're not a very good parent or that you're not doing well enough by your children. Similarly, if you've gotten turned down for what feels like the millionth job at a job interview because your teeth look bad you know it's very discouraging but you don't have the money for dental care so there's nothing you can do about it so as you can see the lack of resources leads to heightened anxiety which actually further entrenches both mental illness and poverty mm -hmm. <sighs> angie i never really thought about the correlation i mean you do and and you don't but 
a lot of times, even myself, Angie, I make assumptions a lot about the poor. Mm. And, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, what are some of the myths about poor and, and mental illness and how can we like become more empathetic, more compassionate towards people that are struggling with and instead of saying things that are very hurtful and and keep kind of the cycle going generation to generation, but how we see the poor. Yeah, I mean, this is actually really a really critical question, Melinda. Yeah. You know, the two biggest myths about people experiencing poverty are, are, are that they um, aren't trying or that for some reason they would rather be on social assistance rather than work. And these are really damaging myths, mainly because they serve to other this person to make them an object of less worth. And they serve to distance us from the issue as if we don't have to act because then it puts the blame on the victim. I mean, that's just the straight truth. And we know that God created all people in his image. They have immense value and he's got an abundant life in mind for each and every one of them. So the big thing that we can do is, is see people, see people as God sees them see beyond behaviors that might make us believe that um, that somebody wants to be in that situation when they really, really don't. Because the challenge is that this impacts their worldview. People know what society thinks of them. And that doesn't help them move forward at all. Right. It further entrenches them into a situation where they're stuck. It's kind of like a piggy bank, a child's piggy bank. If you have a child that grows up and every day there's withdrawals, you're good for nothing, you're broken, you're mm. stupid, you'll never amount to anything. And then by the time they're an adult, they've got an empty piggy bank. They're not, they don't have the resources to handle life's challenges versus other children who every day there's deposits. I love you, you, you know, I'm so proud of you, you did so great in that, you have such wonderful character, you demonstrated courage there. They've got a full piggy bank. When life throws challenges at them, they've got resources to draw on. And if we see people as, as people who've experienced multiple traumas over their life that are essentially God's children with empty piggy banks, then what we can do is choose to love them until they love themselves. I love that. That's a great visual, the piggy bank. That's, that's a really great visual for us to see what that means when we, we withdraw or we, we give in and deposit. Finally, uh, Angie, for those who are supporting those who are struggling with mental illness, it's really caring for the caregiver because we focus a lot on those that are struggling with, but sometimes we forget about the people that are living with them, supporting them and loving them and providing for them. What would you say, what encouragement would you say to those that are caregiving or supporting those that are struggling? Hmm. That's a good question now. It's hard, right? It's yeah. exhausting. I would say make sure that you have people around yourself that are supporting you and that, that um, and give yourself some space, right? It is okay to feel tired. And it is okay yes. sometimes to feel like it's not fair. And that it's, it's you know, to be angry, really, at the whole situation. Because mm -hmm. this person that you love is going through this very difficult situation and it seems to be cyclical and it goes on. And just when you think the person's getting better, sometimes they relapse, that's, that's the reality of this kind of situation. And it's very, very difficult. So I think you just need to give yourself grace with 
real human emotions that come with that when you're walking alongside someone. Make sure you get rest and um, and pray. It's mm. it's a hard journey, um, but that person um, is grateful, even if they don't always show it. Mm. Angie, thank you so much. The visuals, I think the honesty, um, sort of, you know, saying it's hard, it's tough. But I think just for for me and what I'm hearing you say is just, you know, to understand where people are coming from and to see people and not to make assumptions or judgments to really see people be in relationships with people. And I'm so thankful for the work you're doing with Young Street Mission in Toronto. Keep up the great work. Please make sure you say hi to the team from us. And uh, thank you so much for being such an inspiration and encouragement to me, but also to uh, the people that you serve in in Toronto and in Canada. So thank you so much, Angie. Thanks very much, Mel. Thanks for highlighting this really important issue. I appreciate it. Wow, what rich conversations I've had with Jamie Grace and Angie Peters about mental health and mental illness. I'm learning a lot and I hope you are too. And to keep us going in in a learning posture, I have three great experts with me who are going to help us with supporting those who are supporting those that are struggling with mental health and mental illness. And so first off, Brett Allman, welcome, speaker, author, blogger, and mental health advocate. Good to see you again, Brett. Thanks for having me, glad to be here. Shaylee Hugendorn, all the way from British Columbia, mental health advocate, podcaster, and writer. Shaylee, welcome to the show. And Colleen Blake Miller, good to see you again, Colleen, registered psychotherapist and speaker. Uh, glad that you're all here. I think right off the top, we need to identify the difference, which is news to me, between mental health and mental illness. Shaylee, help us understand that. I didn't actually, to be honest, I didn't know that there was a difference in that. Yes, yes, for sure. Well, we all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. And the difference is with mental illness, you actually have a medical disorder. So I think sometimes we need to be careful when we're talking about um, both of those, because something is clinical. The other one, we all have mental health that we need to, Mm. to take care of, like our physical health. So that would be the difference. It's good. Thank you for the clarification. So I'm glad you're the three of you are here because this show really is about supporting those who are supporting those who are struggling. And I think sometimes the support people get forgotten. Uh, it, they're taken for granted. It's just what you do. And so I can't wait to hear your thoughts. But right off the top, I know this sounds obvious, but how has this past year, this past season increased overall um, our mental health struggles and maybe share personally about the struggles you have faced this past year. Brett, why, why don't we start with you? Sure. I'm, I'm doing something new. I'm always trying to first say a positive and then a negative because we know there's more mental health struggles. Um, so the Atlantic had an article uh, last month that talked about teens are doing fairly well during the quarantine season which is funny because all we hear is everything's negative. And mm-hmm. so it said that teenagers are getting more sleep. It might be 1.30 in the morning till 11.30, <laughs> which is my son sleeping right next to me, <laughs> but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, right? It, we might not like it as adults. Uh, number two is more time with parents. Mm-hmm. And number three is less social media because there's nothing going on. And so those things are really great protective factors that we would encourage kids to get. And so there is some good stuff we're seeing. Now, 
overall, I think we all feel a bit blah. This season kind of, can I just say sucks? Like it does <laughs> for, totally, for, yeah. for all of us. And so I think that uh, it's just good to see there's some positive things, but overall, I think we're all struggling. Yeah. And then for most of us, and I'm, I'm the same as many of, of us, we, we have way more isolation and way more loneliness. Mm-hmm. And I think as a man, I'm 49, my generation struggled with loneliness anyways, yet alone now having even that a bit worse. And so to me, the alienation and loneliness and even not being able, like I'm a full-time speaker, not being able to see, you know, usually we'd be together in studio and I get a chance to see each of you and, and chat before and after. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I think there's some good, but I think, of course, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, really tough during this season. Yeah, that's good, Brett. Thanks. Colleen, what about for you? Um, I think that we have been left alone with our thoughts a lot this Mm. past season. And so uh, where I could go to the gym, I could um, hang out maybe with my girlfriends, go out and just things that we would normally maybe fill up our time with to avoid some of those inner things, inner struggles, they've been taken away. Mm-hmm. And and we are left alone with our thoughts. We're left alone with each other. So we've heard a lot of couples, you know, have been learning new things about each other. You know, there's good, but then there's also some 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 areas of struggle around that because there's yeah. there's things that are hard <laughs> to love about each other. So I think mm-hmm. that just facing ourselves and not yeah. having anywhere to run has been, um, I think, what I hear a lot of of people struggling with these days. Yeah, that that's true, I, and I would get that honestly. Even with Chris and myself, my husband and I working together every day together when we never did that as introverts and extroverts, it has been challenging. So we've had to work through a lot of those things within our marriage and relationships. That's a great point, Colleen. Shaylee, what about for you? Your thoughts on that? Yeah, 100%, Colleen. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because a lot of our coping mechanisms have been taken away. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I've been hearing from from a lot of people is, yeah, what do I do now? What my coping mechanisms aren't there. And for a woman that lives with bipolar two disorder, uh, that is an extrovert. Um, I find that part very difficult. Yeah. I've kind of planned for this in my head because I have catastrophic thinking. <laughs> so the, <laughs> So I've thought of this happening before, which isn't helpful because now um, it kind of makes you think like, oh, those aren't catastrophic thoughts. Like these things can happen in the world. And I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, taking away the coping mechanisms and just um, a lot of us struggle with our thought life um, on the average day to be in that all the time is exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Shaylee. Talking about, you know, helping the support people. My question is, is that a lot of times the support people or people that say they don't have mental illness or will say that they're not struggling with their mental health really do not have a lot of empathy or compassion for those that do. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just going to throw it out to you. How come and how can we lean in more to more of a compassionate response to those who are struggling versus saying inappropriate things or actually being mean and, and crass to people. 
throw it out to you, Colleen, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Empathy and compassion towards others. Yeah, yeah. I think you uh, hit it on the head, the, the nail on the head with that one. It's a lack of empathy. You know, empathy is leaving your shoes and just imagining, just imagining what it might feel like to be in the shoes of other people. So that means you have to take your perspective, how it looks and feels for you and just put it on the shelf. Doesn't mean to throw it away. Doesn't mean your perspective doesn't, it's it's not real for you. It just means it's not the only, you know, thing to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, lack of awareness, I think, um, also contributes. And then, and then ignorance, you know, just, just lack of education and understanding that mental illness is a physiological um, issue. It's not just, yes, it affects moods. Yes, it affects motivation, some, you know, situations, mm-hmm. but the physiology of someone's makeup is different when they are battling with mental illness. Um, and so I think people not understanding that I would never speak to someone who has diabetes or has, you know, heart, you know, a heart condition and say, hey, snap out of it. Like, you know, um, right. so so it's actually understanding, hey, let me put my perspective on the shelf for a moment and just consider, consider if 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 this is what you're saying, it feels like, wow, that must be really hard. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Brett, your thoughts about that? Well, we could talk for half an hour on this. Um, (laughs) I often say we have a lot of well people telling unwell people what to do. Mm. And I just, and the problem is, is that coming from our Christian, greater Christian church world, I'm not saying any specific church, but we haven't almost across the board. We do not equip people in our churches, what to say and what to do and how to do it. Like we're really good at equipping each other for our spiritual life, but we Mm. also have, other components we have to deal with. And I just think there has to be a way we begin to actually walk through with people. Like even a Saturday morning training, doing mental health first aid, like there's so many great things that we could do to help make our churches a safe place for people with mental health. I actually did a YouTube video on like 10 ways we can do this. But the idea is just, I think we need to like have our leaders, our pastors equip those, I mean, all of us have friends and family who are struggling with things, but let's give people some really practical, mm-hmm. tangible ways that they can actually do this. Yeah, that's really good. And I think the practical thing is, you know, things are what we need more than ever. And I like that, Brett, uh, well people telling unwell people how to live and be and do. It's, wow, that's <laughs> it's quite convicting. Shaylee, for um, you, your yeah. experience. Yeah, so I think um, it's, a couple things like you were talking about empathy there's a difference between empathy and sympathy right feeling sorry for someone isn't isn't the same as walking into their pain and i think it's what we've seen as well stories haven't been told uh, a lot of times like you said well people helping unwell people well people telling unwell people's stories and we're not telling our own stories and i think mm. that We've also normalized language. And so many people say, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with something. And it's taken away the actual meaning. Um, uh, You know, I've heard, uh, you know, I can't decide the weather, I'm so bipolar. And I'm like, right? This is actually a disorder and it's hard. And so I think that there's just that lack of really understanding because our language has become has become mainstream and it's also invisible which is hard 
That's hard. When you can see someone that is sick or struggling, it's different than and hard to explain when it's inside, especially when you look like shiny or whatever on the outside. Maybe not. Maybe you don't. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're in bed. But um, I think that just not being able to see it is harder, harder for people to believe. So I just think it really starts with language and hearing stories of people that actually That's have. Good. That's good. All right. I'm just going to throw these out to you. Worst things to say, best things to say to people who are struggling with their mental health and mental illness. Brett, let's go. Let's go. Worst, best, worst, best, worst, best. Worst, best. Worst would be anything that blames the person for not doing anything enough. You haven't oh. read your Bible enough. Mm. You haven't prayed enough. You oh. haven't leaned into Jesus Ooh. enough. By the way, Ouch. pray more. Needed to Jesus, like those are all good things, but yeah. that when someone's on, like you would never, like Colleen, I think you said diabetes or cancer, no one would ever say that to someone. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of having an even playing field. No matter what you're dealing with, we can move forward towards healing. So nothing that blames the person. What could you do? I would say do anything that validates the person's feelings. Like as parents, we would, if your kid says, like my daughter lost her prom, you don't just say, how do we fix it? You say. I'm so sorry you mm. lost this. It's okay to say to someone, I'm yeah. so sorry you're going through this. Like validate what the person said to you and just sit with them. We often use the term lament. Like I think it's okay to sit yeah. with the person. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. Sit like with that person. Oh, that's really good. I like that bread a lot. Okay, Colleen, worst um, and best. <laughs> yeah, so worst is I understand. I understand. You know, even if you, oh. even if you, have if you're talking to someone who's depressed and you are also like clinically depressed i understand no each heart knows its own sorrow so so it's better Ooh. to say it's better to say um i'm here for you you know um it's better to say um i just to be quiet and listen <laughs> you know sometimes it's better to say nothing and just let them just you know is there more is there more so i know we 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 want to like align ourselves with them but but sometimes when you tell somebody you understand it actually frustrates them um, um and it's better to just say hey i'm here i'm here for you just how can i support you let them tell you yeah all right and what about best oh sorry oh sorry the best thing to say oh, <laughs> yeah. i'm so sorry <laughs> Like, I'm like, are we just going to sit on the worst, Colleen? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, the the okay. best thing to say is I'm here. That That's that's what I would yeah. say. I'm here for okay. you. You know, yeah. and, and, to, and to let them know, you know, just talk if you need to talk. Sometimes, sometimes folks don't even want you to find the solutions for them. I think that solutions, if we sit mm -hmm. with people long enough and let them share enough, the solutions are already in there <laughs> just for them Ooh. to access it. So I'm right. here. You know, is there more? Um, just keep listening. Yeah. Beautiful. It's good. Good. I'm glad we didn't end on the worst with you, Colleen. I think <laughs> the best was even better. So, <laughs> Shaylee, for you, best thing to say, uh, or sorry, worst thing to say, then best thing to do and say. Worst and best. Can you tell I'm getting all excited? You guys are saying, I'm like, yes, yes. Um, yeah. So, I think I'd like to specifically talk about to the faith community about um, worst things to say, because I think that some of my deepest wounds have come from that. And just um, it would seem well meaning and beautiful, but talking sometimes about praying for someone makes you feel like you're on a list. Um, I, I can tell, I cannot tell you how much 
I felt like I've been put on the prayer list, but you want me to get over here on the heat. And we talk a lot about healing stories. And do I believe that Jesus heals? Do I believe in healing, healing stories? 100%. But what do we do if we're not? And we, what do we feel like if we're not? And so I think that, um, I think that you need to just be really careful uh, when it comes to that kind of thing, because we throw that out a lot. I'm, uh, you know, I'll pray for you or this or that. And I just 100% Colleen, um, I think that it, just telling people I'm here for you. Also, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry mm -hmm. that you have to deal with this. And, and yes, I'm here and I will keep showing up. Mm -hmm. And I, That's, I like that. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful thing because it, we know it's exhausting and we know, you know, we want to, people are gung-ho for praying for you in the beginning and helping you in the beginning, but when it's a mental health disorder, uh, someone might live with it their whole life. So to just keep showing up, um, I think is even more important than words. Yeah, I love that. Words and action. Let's finish off with encouragement for those who have a spouse or child or significant other or colleague that is struggling, what would you say to that support person today, uh, Shaylee calling Brad to really encourage them? They are exhausted from the support. They're frustrated. They're trying to be empathetic. They're trying not to say the wrong words and trying to be present. What would you say to them? So I think they need to hear some encouragement today. Brett, your thoughts. Um, I'm gonna, hopefully don't get litigation from Home Depot, but um, Home Depot's <laughs> quote is, <laughs> Uh, you can do it, we can help. Ooh. And so to people who are struggling, sorry, to the, to the caregivers, you can yeah. do this, but you're not alone. We can help. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, on this call, I'm assuming you're already following See Here Love, but follow the three other speakers here. Like see the content people mm -hmm. post, find podcasts on mental health. Even this weekend, as someone who speaks on mental health for a living, I'm doing the assist suicide training because I want to get, I did it 15 years ago, I want to redo it. I want to get better at understanding so I can help. And so as someone who has people around you struggling, mm -hmm. do learn. And we all will make mistakes. The three things we said about don't say to people, we've all done. Yes. <laughs> so don't beat yourself up. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And then move forward. Like, let's get better at how we can help the people around us. Mm, I like that. So there's definitely support for those who are the caregivers ask for it, look for it, study and be educated with it. You're not alone. There are groups out there as well as the three of you that can support and help those. That's fantastic, Brett. Thank you so much. Colleen, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm going to uh, tag on to what Brett said, which is don't be afraid to ask for the help and support. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Bible says that God is with those who are brokenhearted. He is a comforter. He is the God of comfort. And um, it is out of the comfort we get from God that we are able to comfort others. So um, don't be afraid to, I think of prayers that I've, I've prayed to say, you know what, God, I need help. And he has sent help in, in the form of a person. Um, um, so we, we shouldn't be afraid to, to ask for, for help because we are here. We are here um, for you. Excellent. Beautiful. Thank you, Colleen and Shaylee. I think um, I would say I see you, and and I uh, I hear you, and I I feel I feel your pain. That is what I would say as someone that lives with mental health disorder, as well as someone who cares um, for for someone. And take care of yourself. Take care of yourself because you can't help 
other people if you're you're coming from you know a dry place and i think that means just like brett said like education also listening to stories listening to stories of other people try not to get your information from tv shows <laughs> um <laughs> You know, listen to listen to stories and learn, but also mm. take care of yourself. You don't have to have mental illness to go to therapy. You might need to go to therapy as well. And then you're also modeling to your people that are struggling, reaching out for help. And I think that, I, yeah, I see you, I hear you. And like Brett said about um, making some, we all make bad choices, but I think keep showing up. People will feel your empathy and we will feel your love. And sometimes a kind word makes all the difference. Amazing. Wow. All three of you, so inspiring, so helpful. And you know, this is how See Here Love came to be. It was that sense to remind people, and I say this at the end of every show, you are seen and heard and loved by God. And I think it's not just that by God, but that that's, that is all supposed to mean too a community that can speak that out to people that are struggling and broken, that we see you, we hear you, and we love you unconditionally and despite and in spite what you're going through and the brokenness and the mess and chaos of life, we see here and love you as God does. So thank you, Brett Ullman, Colleen Blake Miller, and uh, Shaylee, I want to make sure I get the last name, Hugendorn. Um, thank you. Thank you for your great words, your presence. For all you viewers and listeners, go and find them on social media um, and, and, and get their resources, be inspired by their podcasts and writing. Um, I know this will definitely, their resources will support you. Well, coming up, Lindsay Thompson, a registered psychotherapist, shares an encouraging scripture from The Good Word, but first, we'd love for you to join our See Here Love community so that you will feel seen, heard, and loved by God and by us. And we would love to be a part of your journey. things aren't going well in life, many of us are really quick to beat ourselves up for the things we did do, the things we didn't do. We're quick to see ourselves as failures or not good enough, and sometimes even unlovable. And this is called self-criticism. And a lot of research is being done on this and its opposite, which is self-compassion. The research is showing that self-criticism interferes with healthy living in so many ways. and is actually connected to things like anxiety and depression. But on the other hand, self-compassion is acknowledging the hardships we go through, being vulnerable with our brokenness, and remembering we are children of God. And research is showing this is connected to resilience and mental health. And not only is self-compassion scientific, it's also biblical. Colossians 3.12 says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This of course is outwardly to others, but I think God would want us to extend it inwardly to ourselves too. In this month, as we acknowledge the reality of mental illness and continue to navigate the uncertainty of COVID-19, I encourage you to be kind to yourself. Are you talking to yourself the way you would talk to a friend 
or someone you really didn't like. Take time to reflect on how you can extend some compassion to yourself during this tough time. Well, thanks, Lindsay, for that great scripture and the good word, for Jamie Grace for sharing your story, for Shaylee, Colleen, and Brett for your expert advice, and for Angie giving us an inside look at mental illness and the poor. You know, in this show, I learned a lot. I learned more. Maybe it was more of a reminder that I need to see people, that I need need to ask God to help me be more empathetic, to be more kind to be more compassionate to those who are struggling, that I need to listen and be present more. Well, for more information, resources, blogs, bios, extra content to know more about our guests, go to seeherelove.com. All the information and support is there for you. And I want you to know this, that if you are struggling today, if you know and love somebody who is struggling today, know that God is with you. Know that you are not alone. Know that there are resources and people to help you. You just need to choose and reach out. And as you do, and as you sit and feel the lament and the tears and the pain and the struggle, I want you to know this deep down in your soul, that God sees you and he hears you and he loves you. And that's what See Here Love is all about, that we see you, hear and love you, and to remind you again that you are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply loved by God. Love with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherelove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.